Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. On today's podcast, we are joined by Julia from SunTribe, which is very fitting at the moment. For context, England's currently undergoing a heat wave, so I felt this is the perfect timing to have a sun cream brand on. So, Julia, would you like to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about SunTribe and the story of SunTribe? Sure, I'm happy to introduce myself. Um, so my name is Julia. I founded SunTribe together with two friends almost uh, six years ago now, uh, back in Sweden. And uh, at SunTribe, what we do is that we offer worry-free natural sunscreens and that are safe for both our own health and for our nature, so mostly the oceans. Um, and what we um, like how we define safe is that we only use ingredients that are verified safe according to independent platforms. Um, and we only use natural and organic ingredients. So they're 100% natural, all our products. You said that you set it up with some friends. Where did the idea come from? So me and my friends, um, they were actually my, uh, well, my study colleagues at that time. We met while we were studying an, an, a master's degree in entrepreneurship in the south of Sweden. Um, and um, when we met about seven years ago, we came across a study from our university in Sweden that had analyzed the most common sunscreens in Europe at that time. And that study found that 63% of the ingredients were officially classified as harmful, according to the European Commission. Um, so then we were quite shocked. <laughs> and uh, well, we all use a lot of sunscreens, spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, one of my co-founders, he had also spent a few years living and studying in Australia, um, where he surfed a lot. And um, he saw that in Australia, everybody was only using natural sink sunscreens out of respect for the ocean. Um, and uh, when he came back to Europe and we all met, he realized that outside of the surfing community, um, nobody had ever even heard of those sink sunscreens. Um, so we thought, yeah, well, it's the perfect time for us. Uh, we wanted to, to find a, basically like to create a, a job for ourselves that we could really stand behind. Um, and we had found the perfect problem to solve. Um, so we decided to do something about that problem and come up with completely natural formulas. It sounds like you guys are quite sporty. Would you say that your target audience are outdoor and active people or are you targeting anybody anybody in general? I'd say yes to both questions. <laughs> uh, we're definitely targeting people that uh, like to spend a lot of time outdoors just as we like to, to do that ourselves um, but um, we have over time also expanded our range of products so that we not only offer sports sunscreens but we also offer a lot of other completely natural cosmetics such as mineral day creams, uh, we have natural lip balms, we have a body butter and after sun balm, all those um, types of products as well. So I'd say anybody who's looking for a safe sunscreen um, can find one at SunTribe. Oh, fantastic. It's only recently that I actually discovered that sun cream was bad for the environment. I always presumed that a sun cream would be really safe because most people wear sun cream, they go on holiday, they go in the sea. So I was pretty shocked to discover that, that was actually not the case. What, what makes a sun cream reef safe? What ingredients do you include that other sun creams don't? Uh, that's a great question. And also what you said that most people just assume that any sunscreen is reef safe. I think that's absolutely how it should be. And I hope that at some point in the future, that's how it will be. 
Um, but for now, um, there are some, some things that you can look out for to make sure that your sunscreen is reef safe. The most important point is that you check the UV filters that are used in the sunscreen. Um, there are two mineral UV filters that are considered to be safe for coral reefs. And those two are non-nano zinc oxide and non-nano titanium dioxide. So basically, um, if you check that your sunscreen is mineral only, meaning that it contains only mineral UV filters, and that it uh, contains those UV filters without nanoparticles, then you, you can be fairly certain that your sunscreen is reef safe. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. Would you say that most sun creams are not reef safe? Uh, unfortunately, at this uh, moment, I would say so, yes. The, the most commonly used sunscreens are still chemical sunscreens, and they typically contain UV filters that we know are not reef safe, or maybe some of them, there's no research about it yet, but uh, even if, they're, if they haven't been analyzed regarding their safety for, uh, for coral reefs, we know that they have side effects for humans, so they're also not a, a great option. Oh, really? I didn't know about that either. So obviously, reef-safe sun cream is important, but what exactly does non-reef-safe sun cream, what does that do to the reefs? What, what's the issue? Um, so exactly what happens is that those chemical UV filters, they impact the growth of larvae babies. So basically the, uh, the coral reefs, um, as, they, um, well, as they create larvae babies, or yeah, like uh, as they grow, um, they are impacted by oxybenzone and other chemical UV filters because those act um, in, as a hormonal disruptor. Um, so they do that both in, in coral and in humans, actually. And what it means is just that they disrupt the, the natural growth processes of the coral reefs. And therefore, the coral reefs over time um, die. And um, yeah, so that's, that's uh, the actual effect that's lying behind it. <laughs> and what about the effect on marine life? Is, is that a thing? Uh, yes. So the same way that coral reefs are being affected, um, chemical sunscreen filters also affect fish, for example, and there have been shown um, also side effects for turtles and other marine wildlife. So it's um, yeah, quite a, a wide range of animals and, um, and yeah, wildlife that is affected, unfortunately. You also mentioned that sun cream can have harmful side effects on humans. Can you talk a bit more about that in detail? Sure. Um, so basically, there's a, a wide range of side effects that chemical sunscreens can have in humans. It starts with skin allergies, skin rashes, um, and it goes all the way up to hormonal disruptions. Um, and uh, well, as I talked about before regarding the coral reefs, Hormonal disruptions mean that, that those UV filters, they basically mimic the effects of hormones in your body. Um, so oxybenzone, for example, has been shown to affect your body the same way as estrogen does. So you're basically taking a, a shot of estrogen when you apply sunscreen. <laughs> um, and because of those hormonal effects, oxybenzone has been linked to a birth defect called Hirschsprung's disease. Um, that causes uh, defects in, um, in, in babies. And then there's other studies that show that those chemical UV filters that affect the body the same way that hormones do, they can even cause infertility, for example. And that's really something that you'd want to avoid, right? 
Yeah, for sure. This is really troubling because I wear sun cream every day and I honestly have no idea about the effects of this. So I really need to look into that. Thank you for making us aware. <laughs> sure. I mean, I think as many people as possible should know about it. And I was even also um, unaware of these, of all these problems before I started working with SunTribe. Is there any legislation to regulate this in the future or currently? To regulate the chemicals um, in sun cream? Yes, um, so very slowly regulators are catching up. So there have been um, a few countries and regions around the world that have already implemented sunscreen bans, prohibiting certain ingredients and sunscreens. Um, as of now, there's seven countries and regions that have those bans in place, for example, on Hawaii, on Palau and on Bonaire. So typically, uh, well, tropical islands that are the most severely impacted when their coral reefs disappear, and they have already banned um, chemical sunscreens so that you can't buy them um, on those islands anymore and use them close to the coral reefs. And then there's also national parks in Mexico, for example, that um, have changed uh, the rules so that you can only uh, apply mineral sunscreen when you go there. And we hope that more bans will be implemented soon. But at the same time, we think that it's important to focus on educating customers um, so that you can make a self-choice yourself because we think it's the, the pace at which uh, chemical sunscreens are being banned is still way too slow. Yeah, absolutely. It really does sound slow. As we, we briefly touched upon two of the ingredients that you recommend having in a sun cream, is there anything, any other indicators that consumers can look out for to spot a reef safe sun cream? Um, sure. So I'd say, well, those who are looking out for the, those two mineral UV filters, that's the easiest way to find out whether the sunscreen is reef safe. Um, but then there is also a lot of, lot of other ingredients that are, might be reef safe, but they have other negative side effects for human health. Um, or for the environment, such as microplastics. So those ingredients you still want to avoid. Um, and then it's impossible for the, the layman to find those ingredients on the list of ingredients. Um, but thankfully, there's a few apps that you can use. So what I typically do, um, because it's impossible to know all ingredients, is that I use those apps. Um, I scan the barcode on the back of the product, and the app then lists all the product, all the ingredients that are potentially harmful. Um, and there's, for example, one called Inchi Beauty and the other one is called Yucca. And they are free to use um, and, and very helpful to find out whether the ingredients are actually safe. I've never heard of that app. Thank you. I'll definitely be downloading those. <laughs> <laughs> You've already spoken a bit about the different products that you have available. What SPFs do you offer the sun creams in? Mm hmm. At the moment, we offer two types of SPF. So we offer SPF 20 day creams and SPF 30 sunscreens. Um, and um, the reason why we don't offer SPF 50 yet is uh, both because SPF 50 actually doesn't provide as much prote protection as you would think. Uh, we can talk about that <laughs> in a minute. And secondly, because it's actually not that easy to have a sunscreen that reaches SPF 50 while only using natural ingredients. But we are actually working on it and, and getting close. <laughs> so we, will, we might have some news soon. 
Oh, please, can you go into some more detail about why SPF 50 doesn't actually provide as much coverage? Because as someone who wears SPF 50 every day, I think I found that quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually something that uh, when I explain that, I always get very surprised faces <laughs> because the difference between SPF 30 and SPF 50 is actually only 1% that SPF 50 protects you more. Um, and that is because SPF, what it actually means is the percentage of UVB rays that are blocked from reaching your skin. And SPF 30 literally means that 97% of those UVB rays are blocked, whereas SPF 50 means that 98% of those UVB rays are blocked, 98%. Right. Um, I didn't know that. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, quite, uh, it's quite funky in a way. And it's when you look at the history of sunscreens, then you understand why, because it's simply that when sunscreens were invented and the SPF standard was introduced, those early sunscreens, they had a very low sun protection factor, for example, SPF 2 or SPF 4. And then when they created the SPF scale, because it's nonlinear, um, you just see that the higher you go, the well, closer you get to 100% protection. And then there's just a well, a limit that you that you reach. <laughs> what about the protection of your skin in water? How water resistant is your product? Yeah, sure. So water resistance in sunscreens is actually measured um, in a very straightforward way. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very standardized process where um, at the lab, they apply sunscreen on the, the test subjects arms and then they immerse that arm into the water. <laughs> and then they test after 40 minutes and after 80 minutes, depending on whether the sunscreen is water resistant or very water resistant, they measure which uh, sun protection factor is still given. And um, because it's so standardized, we can say that our sunscreens, because they have passed the same tests as the, all the chemical sunscreens out there, they are, um, well, water resistant exactly as those, those chemical sunscreens are. So after 40 minutes, you will still have half the protection of what you had initially. That's how it's standardized. Oh, wow. How interesting. I didn't, well, again, I didn't realize that's how they tested it. That seems such a simple process for something that is such like a complicated product. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the end, you have to measure it some way. And when yeah. you have to standardize it as well, it makes sense, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Given that the purpose of the company is to be environmentally friendly, what other steps do you take to ensure that your sunscreen is environmentally friendly? For example, the packaging? Yes, exactly. That, that's a very good point. Um, so we, when we founded SunTribe, our main focus was to offer sunscreens that have 100% natural and biodegradable ingredients. Um, but then also right from the beginning, we wanted to have environmentally friendly packaging. Um, so we offer all our products in fully recyclable packaging. Most of our packaging is plastic free as well. And we use climate positive tubes from sugarcane. So those are the, the only types of packaging that you find. Um, and in addition to the packaging, we know there's a lot more we can do. And over time, we want to add more environmentally friendly uh, measures or like implement those. Um, what we already do at the moment is that we have our production in Europe and we make sure that 
um, we source our materials and our ingredients from as close as possible to our production site. Um, and at some point in the future, what we would also like to do is have um, to have a, a climate positive production even. That's the, the next step for us. <laughs> It seems like that's everybody's next step and it's really good that most companies, well not most companies, but most companies that we talk to are moving towards and aiming for that. Mm -hmm. Earlier you briefly touched upon microplastics. Can you explain in a little bit more detail about microplastics in sun cream? Sure. Um, so the thing is, microplastics, they're used in all kinds of cosmetics because they act as a cheap filler. So you basically, you add microplastics to make the, the formula thicker and to do that in a very cost-effective way since microplastics are incredibly cheap. Um, and that unfortunately means that a lot of sunscreens also contain microplastics, um, which is of course very detrimental for our environment because they end up directly in the ocean oftentimes or in rivers and, and lakes. Um, and therefore, it's important that you check that your sunscreen is microplastic free. Um, there are a few um, well initiatives out there now that analyze ingredients in, in sunscreens and cosmetics and that help you to understand whether your product contains microplastics. So I recommend, for example, Beat the Bead, <laughs> um, which is a, an organization from the UK, UK actually. Um, and they have a lot of information um, on their website um, and um, it's called beat the, the microbeat actually. Um, and they educate about microplastics, how to find um, in the list of ingredients, whether your sunscreen contains those or not. Um, and that's actually fairly simple. So I would recommend uh, just checking that out and scanning your, your products um, that you have in your bathroom at the moment, <clears throat> because they also, um, well, they also have a feature where you can use their app to find out whether your products contain microplastics or not. I'm um, just looking at their website now, as you mentioned that, and it looks really good. So I will link the link, the link. I'll post the link mm -hmm. to this in the description of the podcast for anyone listening who would like to check that out. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good idea because it's another topic where most people would think, well, why would any cosmetics company just willingly add microplastics to a product that they know will end up in our water? Um, but they do. So we have to be on the lookout and make sure we don't buy those products. Really? It's, re it's really hard as a consumer to know to know what's right and wrong because you can't know the ins and outs of everything. It's quite difficult to make right choices. Yes, I, I totally agree. And it's also, it's too much to um, ask that everybody educates themselves in detail about everything because that would be a full-time job. But I think when you use those apps, um, and you educate yourself a little bit, then at least um, you well you have a good chance to to find safe products. Um, so it's not it's not that complicated in the end. You just have to know how to go about it. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think are the main differences between chemical sunscreens and minical sunscreens? For example, does one absorb faster than the other, and which one lasts longer? Yeah, that is a, a great question. So there's one big fundamental difference between chemical and mineral sunscreens. Um, and that is that they work in a very different way. They protect you from the sun in very different ways. 
Um, chemical sunscreens, they penetrate your skin and make your cells temporarily resistant to UV rays. Um, so that's a chemical process and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes. That's why it always says, says on the label that you should apply um, those chemical sunscreens 20 minutes before you head out into the sun. Um, and as we've already touched upon those chemical sunscreens, because they reach um, so deep into your skin, they can be detected even in your blood and they can impact your health. Mineral sunscreens, on the other hand, they build a protective layer on top of your skin. Um, so you can imagine it as millions of small mirrors basically that are placed on top of your skin. And that's obviously much safer for, for you. And it has the advantage that mineral sunscreens protect you from the first second of application. And um, when it comes to the question, which type of sunscreen lasts longer, um, there are certain types of mineral sunscreens that do last longer because they come in a very thick paste consistency. So those sunscreens, um, you apply them um, and they will just give you a visible indication of whether you're protected. So you have a layer of sunscreen in your face and as long as it's still physically there, you know that you're protected. Um, so that's why if you choose a certain type of mineral sunscreen, it will actually last longer than a chemical sunscreen that penetrates your skin. One important myth that I would really like to bust is that uh, even when you are already tanned or quite tanned even, you should still use sunscreen. <laughs> so everybody, I recommend use a daily SPF, use a day cream that contains um, a mineral UV filter and also use other sun protective measures, for example, wear a hat or wear a long sleeved shirts and so on, because it's every sunburn causes skin damage that will be there for as long as you live. Um, so you really want to just take those protective measures and protect yourself because even when you're tanned, you can still get burned. And there also um, the different types of UV rays, there's only one type that causes uh, redness, whereas the other one, it just causes skin uh, damaging and skin aging but uh, doesn't really, or doesn't show in any way. So you get, your skin ages, but you will never know that you, that you got sunburned in a way. It's really weird how secretive this information is. I, I did not know about this. And it's such a basic thing to know. Yes, <laughs> it is a whole, there's a whole science behind sunscreens in a way. Yeah, and, it's um, so weird that yeah. just, it's not common knowledge. Yes, I think basically you should learn that at school. Everybody should know about it because it's such a, a crucial thing to know how to protect yourself from sunburn um, and yeah, how to go about it. And I think it's just something that, you know, same as with smoking, for example, uh, there are many things that when um, the science hasn't really caught up with the like, or people's knowledge hasn't caught up with science or there is just not enough science about it yet and then there are a lot of myths about it and nobody really knows but then there comes a point where it's quite clear how things work and how um, we can protect ourselves from negative side effects and I think with sunscreens now we know enough to make a safe choice um, and we just need to spread that knowledge and um, at some point it will be something that like in a few years we'll laugh about people that bought SPF 100 sunscreens for example. <laughs> Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you for joining us on this podcast and thank you for educating us and educating me. I'm definitely going to go have a look at the, the sun cream in my house now. So I really have appreciated this. <laughs>
<laughs> well, thank you so much for the great conversation, Saskia. And it's been lovely to talk with you. It was great to speak to you too. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to check out all of our others and to follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook.